and I felt like I'm supposed to give an exhortation on serving him. All right? We can talk about Jezebel. We, t we can talk about dreams and visions and prophecy, and those are all well and good, and those are wonderful things. I'm not putting them down in any way, but it's a, one of the fundamental building blocks of our Christian walk, and in some ways it's elementary, in other ways it's not. Um, Hebrews 6, if you'll turn with me there to Hebrews 6, actually says the opposite, that serving is not elementary. Hebrews 6, we'll read verses 1 and 2, and then 9 through 12 after that. Hebrews 6, so let us stop going over the elementary teachings about Christ again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Skipping down to nine. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you'll still do. He does not forget. Anytime we serve him, it has eternal ramifications on it. Just like when we sow and we give into the kingdom, that has eternal rewards. You're automatically storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. The same concept applies when we serve him in whatever manner that might look like. Just know that when you serve him, you're sowing into eternity. We have a very short few years here on this earth. And sadly, I was tragically reminded of that this week. <clears throat> Brittany's grandmother, who I called to come call my own, passed away. And to a man and to a woman, every child and every grandchild, every friend who reached out and testified of her character and her love for the Lord, said that she was a servant. She always served. And I was just trying to come up with examples of my own life that I could offer to encourage the body, and hopefully there's a few, and we'll get there, but... I couldn't live up to the life that she just kept selflessly giving and serving. And so I honor her memory here this morning in that small way. She did it her whole life. And the Lord, in this passage, if we keep reading, he will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you'll still do. Our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true until our dying breath. That's how long we're asked to serve and to love others. Jesus in the scriptures elevates the standard of serving or of love to that of serving. We just read it. I'm reminded of a time I ran out of gas on the interstate and I called up Pops a few years ago. And these beautiful words rang out of it. The first words out of his mouth, he said, how can I serve you this morning? And I said, you have no idea what you're asking for. <laughs> and it was a cold, rainy November morning. It was like 20 degrees outside. It was miserable. And I'll, I'll save the whole saga. But he served. And how much more so he continues to serve this body, even in his, in his condition with terminal cancer. Pops, I honor you for serving and being a, an example of service to the body. Yeah. 
Serving others, it's not complicated. It's really simple. Serving the Lord, we, we, we just, we tend to overcomplicate it. We want to go into, you know, if I'm not running a homeless ministry or feeding the poor, I'm not serving him, and I'm, I'm here to exhort us this morning that it's the smallest things. If we truly believe every footstep is ordered of the righteous by the Lord, then every breath, every step that we take can have purpose and can have meaning if only we have the spiritual eyes as we're going about to serve and to love and to give. Verse 12, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Serving is like a spiritual knife sharpener, right? It, it, it's the iron that sharpens the other gifts and talents that the Lord has given us, what, whatever they might be, whether they be spiritual gifts, whether it be prophecy or teaching or giving or carpentry, a natural gift, or your musical talents, whatever it might be, what good are they if we're not employing them, if we're not using them and serving him? Because I don't know about you, I feel really dull if I'm just being apathetic, if I'm being indifferent. And again, I'm here to encourage us that it doesn't take much to get back on the right track. It's not that you go from, I'm in this indifferent place to all of a sudden I've birthed a, a homeless shelter out of my out of my garage or whatever okay it's it's get busy right where you're at open your bible start praying and let the lord lead you we're encouraged to keep fighting the good fight of faith why so we shouldn't give up i want to encourage this morning not to give up and i'll talk about rest a little bit all right i'm not just this isn't a blind call to just Start serving right where you're at. If you're wounded and need healing, sometimes rest is right where we need to be, okay? But we get caught up in our feelings and emotions, which are definitely valid, but shouldn't be our guardrails. We ride the roller coaster and the zigs and the zags, but my Bible says that the path is narrow and the way is straight that leads to life. What if the roller coaster that we perceive as life is really the straight, narrow path you are supposed to be on? It may be filled with pain and suffering. There may be some lengthy bouts of turbulence. What, <clears throat> what we view as obstacles and pitfalls are really the Lord's ordained footsteps for us to walk in. To us, this is this may <clears throat> excuse me. To us, this may not look like going forward, but going Godward. The good news of the gospel didn't promise that it would be easy. Jesus said that we would have to take up our cross daily. It's a countercultural message because ever since the beginning, humanity has been looking for a way to make it easier, right? Adam and Eve, it's, it doesn't take a lot of inference to, to believe that they thought by partaking of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, somehow life, even though it was perfect, was going to be more perfect, was going to be easier, was going to get better. And so, you know, since the beginning, we were herdsmen and, and farmers, and, and now we're crypto investors and social media influencers, Okay. And what I'm saying is life has gotten easy over time. But, and I'm still believing for a prosperous future, but we're not guaranteed it. Okay, my Bible talks about suffering a whole lot. Yeah. All right? And so it's in the crushing, it's in the pressing, it's when we suffer that that character is imparted into us. We just want to fast forward. We want to get to the light at the end of the tunnel. We don't want to go through the tunnel at all. Lord, just 
hey, can we skip the step? I just, I just want to already get through it. And then we miss those important lessons. And it's often those lessons that get drawn out and taught while we're serving, while we're loving him. Okay, there's a difference between persistence and perseverance. Persistence is just consistency, which is a noble trait in its own right. All right, if we're persistent and consistent in our Bible reading and our diet and exercise and, and, and whatever, these should be encouraged, and I certainly encourage them, okay? But perseverance is consistency in the face of suffering. <clears throat> so are we going to pass on the dinner invitation when we're in the middle of a fast and we're supposed to go to our favorite restaurant, right? That's a small taste of suffering. Right? I'm trying to make, I'm going to go through some examples and try to make it relatable because compared to other Christians in, say, Iran or Pakistan or other places where they, they suffer, they truly su suffer for the cause of Christ, we have it a little bit easier here, and it more looks like our suffering is laying down of reputation, of having to explain the things that we do and why we do and letting go of the American dream. Austin touched on it in prayer this morning. Okay, part, part of the, the spirit of timidity that we were warring against in prayer this morning was what if, what if I truly let go of it all and let God, okay? And I know it's tough in the context of the culture because we do live in a prosperous society. In fact, it's kind of hard not to prosper, all right? You do the things that, frankly, are, are taught in the Bible, and you will, you will receive favor and blessing. But the difference between us and the world is we invite the Lord into it, okay? But if the Lord says retiring at 62 and go, living on the golf course and all that isn't in your future, that's okay. We have to yield to the plans and timing of God and say, yes, Lord. And if that is you currently or in the future, that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It's just retirement becomes refirement. Where's, where's Marshall? Is he in here? Yeah. He, all right, when he comes back, I felt like I was supposed to prophesy to him. So, because the Lord gave me a word for him. Difference between persistence and perseverance. Persevering in the face of suffering. Being consistent in the face of suffering. Will we lift up the Lord's praises in our chronic pain, in our distresses, in the situations that seem unsolvable or have been pressing against us for years upon years, crying out for prodigals or lost ones? See, I, I, see, I look around, I, I really do see a lot of perseverers in here. I do. I know a lot of us have been tested and tried. And for others, there's, there's more coming. But there's an army of perseverers here that the Lord is raising up. And overcomers, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so while there's testimonies that have rang forth from this pulpit and from this microphone by, by many others, there's testimonies that are going out there and taking it to the masses and helping them to overcome as well. There's Marshall. Hey, brother. <laughs> you didn't do anything, man. I, I just felt like I was supposed to prophesy to you, man. When I just, I've been thinking about you 
I'm praying about you this week as I was preparing this message, and you truly are a servant of the Lord, and the Lord is far from done with you. I, I know you had the prison ministry in the past, and I'm not saying that you're going back to it, but there's something similar for you in terms of a spear, in terms of a ministry, and that might be 10 days from now, it might be 10 years from now, but I know I'm going to have the pleasure of being able to watch from the sidelines and saying, that's it. That's what the Lord had, had him doing until his dying breath because your breath is powerful, man. You have words of life, and that's, that's the Lord Jesus inside of you, to be sure, but you have partnered with it so well. And I'm excited for, man, I, I hope you make gobbles of money and you can retire early so that you can get busy doing more and more of that. Seriously, bro, the Lord is not done with you, not by any stretch of the matter. So keep contending, keep fighting, keep believing, keep serving, brother. Keep serving. Man in his flesh is not willingly going to choose to suffer. He's going to try to avoid it if he can. But the Holy Spirit at work inside of us will help us to choose the low road, to choose the road of, that's less traveled, of loving others, the road of humility. We don't want to go back down that path because we might have to endure. We might have to suffer. We might have to face rejection, combat some strongholds, fight some Jezebels cast out some demons it's full of the unknown and when we're confronted with the unknown and, and this is my life to a T I've been I've been moved towards pessimism I've been moved towards the negative when man faces the unknown he tends towards the negative and that's been me and the Lord has exposed that in my life in the last few months and I'm grateful that I've identified it I'm grateful that I'm moving moving towards that of faith all right? Taxes were due not that long ago, and I'm, I'm fretting about, I'm going to owe a bunch. And I end up getting a large refund in return. But that whole time, I'm fearing, I'm, I'm preparing, I'm planning for, I, I need to move money over be, from, the, from the savings and the checking, because I'm going to have to pay on this last day. My accountant took forever, and it was just like this whole cycle of fear. And that's what it was. It was fear. I'm going to call it for what it is. All right? But the Lord, I don't know. I have an awesome accountant i guess i'll i'll get some recommendations after this but i got a refund in return and and what a blessing what if i invite someone to breakfast and they reject me right that's the pessimism that's the fear of the unknown well what if i invite them to breakfast i'm able to share the gospel with them and they become a brother and sister in christ You never know who the, who the next great evangelist is sitting next to you in the, in the cubicle at work, right? Billy Graham came to the faith by uh, uh, going to a meeting that his father had um, every week or maybe it was every day, but it was in a barn with six other men, and here he becomes this great evangelist. So you never know. And turn to your neighbor and say, hello, Billy. I'm serious. It might, it might sound silly, but where is our faith? You just never know. I hope every person's floor in here is my ceiling, right? That you would far and exceed any teaching or any, anything that the Lord might give to me in this moment to offload onto you and that you would far and above and greatly influence the sphere, the unique sphere that he has given to you. The Godward path is narrow because it's covered in humility and choosing loving others. 
in my flesh, I don't want to choose those things. I want to choose myself. I want to choose what's easy. I want to choose to love the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Jesus had to model humility and service for us. Look at all the miracles. Look at all the the parables and the teachings and the signs and the wonders. Not one of them was self-serving. And in case there was any room for doubt that there was, when he fed the 5,000, they tried making him king. And what did he do? He withdrew from that place. They still wanted to make him king. They'd follow him. And then he, he comes up and he, and he tells them, eat my flesh and drink my blood and have eternal life. Okay, those aren't statements that are going to keep a crowd around you. So the masses withdraw and he turns and looks at the disciples and says, his, his kingdom of thousands just went to 12 and he turns to them and says, are you going too? But may we all have the response like Peter and say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But my flesh wants to answer, to whom shall we go? I, I want to go to myself. I want to serve myself. And our culture believes each individual has the words of life, has their own truth. The worldly thinking believes that Jesus said, I am a truth and a life. And we know that's totally demonic. So John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. What does coming to the Father look like? Serving him. And how did Jesus know how to serve perfectly every time? Without fail, he never missed it. He enjoyed such intimacy with the Lord, or with the Father. And we can enjoy that intimacy too, that we would not miss it, that we would not have a fear of, am I in the Lord's will? Am I missing it? Am I fill in the blank? He's not the author of confusion, nor can he lie. And so he's going to be faithful to reveal himself and his will for your life to those who are asking with pure motive, Lord, how do I serve you? I just want to love you. It's his perfect love that casts out that fear and then comes to replace that void with faith. See, I know it's the verse, the perfect love casts out all fear, but fear works, or love works with faith. In Ephesians 6, the armor of God, it's the shield of faith. Why? That guards our heart. The shield of faith. Sorry, I don't want to I don't want to butcher this. I love the armor of God. The shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. See, the devil takes aim at the love of God because he knows if we can get to question the, the love of God, we can question anything about him. And that's why love is paired with faith. And faith is protecting that love that's deposited inside of it. What can God do through one completely surrendered life to him? One person who will say yes, no matter the cost. Faith the size of a mustard seed. And I admit I failed to do that. I'm not preaching from a place of perfect servanthood or whatever. I hope I've been a good example in some ways, but I'm not exalting myself in any way. I'm, I want to point us to Jesus as the model servant. In fact, I want to highlight a failure of mine where I had, I had a dream, two different dreams, actually. The first one, uh, bells and whistles and red and yellow lights were going off on my car dash, and I woke up with this impending sense that I was about to crash. 
I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't know if that was spiritual. I'm just going to kind of dismiss this. I like my car. It runs well. But I should have been listening because the Lord had spoke clearly to my wife a year earlier about replacing her van through a series of dreams. And it was very um, evident that it was of the Holy Spirit. And we, we trusted and we believed. But then it was my turn, and all of a sudden, eh -eh, no thanks. I came up with every reason why I shouldn't get a new car. So he gave me another chance, gave me another dream, same scenario, basically. And then I'm like, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. And I was very slow to obey. Long story short, I literally wrecked on the way to looking at a new car because I was still filled with fear of why I shouldn't get a new car, why leaning and trusting into him for a more reliable, dependable, dependable vehicle that he wouldn't provide a way to pay for that. All right, he literally wrecked me into his will. <laughs> Just like, <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't share with the, with the guy who I purchased the car from at the dealership until the very end, that little tidbit. I'm like, have you ever had someone who's uh, wrecked on their way to purchasing a car? He's like, no. I'm like, well, that happened to me. <laughs> but even then, I'm test driving the car, and he's telling me about how it's the safest car in its class, and it's wonderful, and it's great. I'm like, I'm listening, Lord. Like, I'm going to buy this car. But seriously, this whole time. I have a car with a front bumper hanging off it. I'm still questioning whether I should go through with the car or not. That's how dense and dull I can be when I'm in my flesh. But when I'm filled with faith and filled with the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't have taken all of that. So my encouragement to you is to serve him no matter what that looks like and don't make him go as far as to crash you on the interstate because by the grace of God, a semi-truck, could. I was on the interstate going 60 miles per hour for whatever reason, I was the only one in the wreck. And I'm not hurt. I'm walking up. I can jump up and down, all right? You know, I'm not hurt. Praise the Lord. But I could be dead, or I could be in a hospital paralyzed or something. But he, in his mercy, in his discipline, he showed me mercy. And I was certainly disciplined, and I don't want him to have to exact that kind of rod again, but I, I deserved it. I want to encourage you with the faith of Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher and revivalist in the 1700s who helped usher in the first great awakening. And folks, we're a part of something. I really do believe that. All right. Two years ago, there was a survey that one in four 18 to 25-year-olds had believed in a God or higher power, which I believe is our Christian God. It wasn't some other God that they were referencing in the survey. And now that number is up to one in three. All right, eight percentage points in two years. God is on the rise. He yeah. is moving in power. All right, we're having these Indiana awakening meetings, and we're believing for those 18 to 25-year-olds. We're believing from zero to 85-year-olds to come and know him. All right, but it doesn't do us a whole lot of good if, we're, if the alarm goes off and we turn it off and we just lay there awake. You might as well be asleep. And so that's my exhortation to serve this morning. Arise to shine, right? What's the scripture that we would put our works to be seen before men so that they would bring glory to the Father? I get the whole, you know, doing things in secret, and there's certainly some stuff as we're serving him that are between you and God. But there's other things that quit bearing your talents and, and get before the Lord and and if it's before men as well great just point them to God and say this is why I do what I do because he's given us all talents it says since we have gifts since we have gifts gifts Romans 12 
And those are spiritual gifts. But for the spirit-filled believer, you, you have multiple of those. But if you're not filled yet, you have natural gifts as well. So, and I, I know most of us in here are filled. And so we have both. And we are called to be good stewards of both. I don't want to bury my talents any longer. All right, we think of that parable in Matthew 25 being the good steward, right? And that he's given talents and we go to finances. Oh, Lord, if you give me money, I'll be a good steward of that. And that's certainly true, but I'm here to challenge our thinking that that also includes our, our talents, our physical talents, and our time as well. That we need to be good stewards of those and that I'm not going to get to the end of my life and, and think, oh, one more YouTube video, one more Facebook reel, one more hour of social media, one more binge of Netflix, one more you name it, one more ball game is going to satisfy that place in my heart. No, we're going to be met with the Lord Jesus face to face and all that stuff's going to burn up and wash away and we're not going to remember that stuff. We're going to be in his presence and it's going to be beautiful and we're going to be rewarded based on many things and one of those is how did you serve how did you serve me how did you steward what i gave you and so if there's just part of the the dullness that was talked about in hebrews 6 that that um spiritual indifference that comes through lack of serving that that apathy that gets built up from the spirit of this age okay some of us need to unplug i've been really challenged of late of how do i really press in and be present with my wife and my family how do i really be present how do i give it all to you and i become more sensitive to what has grieved the lord and I'm, I'm telling you i can kind of sense it in the room that there's a what if i did that too what would i what would it cost me what would it give up and I'm, I'm telling you i'm in the midst of it it's a war it's a battle it really is but there is fruit so i want to encourage you whoever's listening and you know that i'm talking to you because I, I feel it by the Spirit of the Lord, to do it, to give it up. I don't know what that it is, but it's, it's not necessarily sin. It's something that's just neutral, or that which is good, and the Lord wants to replace it with that which is best, yeah. which is Him. Amen. Oh, right, I had it right in front of me, that verse. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Back to Jonathan, Ed Jonathan Edwards. Key figure in the Great Awakening, great preacher. Preached thousands of sermons over the course of his life, sometimes up to 15 a week, just pouring out his life for the service of the Lord. He had 70 resolutions that he would go through, either daily or weekly, at the end of the day. And here, here are but a few. Resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most, but to improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved, to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved, never till I die to act as if I were any way my own but entirely and altogether God's. Those are some incredible resolutions to sit down and reflect on at the end of every day. And I love the repetition, resolved, 
pastors, I am resolute in doing this. I dedicate this as a service to the Lord because I want to I wanna consecrate myself. I want to serve him with every fiber in my being, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and all of my strength. And if it takes being that intentional, then I'm going to do it. Because the days are evil and the day of the Lord is coming quickly. Each day that passes, we're just one more day closer. I know that's not revelatory, but it certainly gets lost on our consciences because minutes and hours and days and weeks and years pass away and we, we treat it indifferently that it's just lost. What am I saying? That your ministry to God is unique to you. Most of us are not called to be a Jonathan Edwards or a martyr or a global missionary or something like that, and that is perfectly okay. That's not to diminish or exalt any of those ministries. I'm saying that we're supposed to be faithful to the sphere that the Lord has given us. Because it's your own unique sphere. The sphere that your, ho- that your spouse, your friend, your co-worker, your pastors do not have. And I'm not, I'm not saying either that spending time with your children is a waste of time. That's an incredible investment. In fact, one of the best things that we can be doing is pouring into the next generation, serving the next generation by living a holy lifestyle, by creating a stable home, right? You're saving children hundreds of hours and counseling and Lord's no, Lord knows how many other problems by having a stable environment. Look around at the problems of our society and everyone thinks they have a law or a, or a, or a solution to it, but no one wants to really press in on the hard question of where's mom and dad? How are mom and dad doing? Are they, are they creating a stable atmosphere for this person, for this child to not just survive but thrive in? All I'm saying is we just need our eyes open to what serving the Lord is and get busy doing it. It's not a microphone. It's not just worship on Sunday morning. It's everything. Like I said earlier, if we truly believe, like Psalm 37, that every step of the righteous man are established by the Lord, then every breath and every step and every word has purpose, including time with the family, including date nights, including the lunch break at work, including fill in the blank. It can be anointed and it can be filled with grace and the Holy Spirit and he can move in power if we're just willing to yield and surrender and serve him no matter when he calls and when he beckons. Some of you may hear this exhortation to serve the Lord and think a radical shift has to take place and in a sense it does, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't necessarily look like quitting your job and going on the mission field. I believe that most of us are you're exactly vocationally where you're supposed to be. You, you live exactly where you're supposed to live and having the neighbors that you do and the friendships that you have and the relationships of family, which you can't change anyway, that you have. <laughs> All right? But if we can wake up, spiritually speaking, and be willing to minister to the, to, for the Lord, serve him, while we're in those spheres, all of a sudden we're active, okay? We're engaged. We're serving him. We're not, my encouragement at my exhortation this morning is we're not that far. If you feel like you're stuck, if you feel indifferent, if you're feeling apathetic, that you're, you're, you're literally a turn of the page of the Bible 
from being right where you're supposed to be. You're one intentional conversation away from being right where you're supposed to be. You're one prayer away. Okay? We're not that far. And some of you, I know a lot of you are already there. This is just truly an exhortation, and hopefully you feel encouraged. Sometimes the, host, the most holy thing we can be doing is the dishes. Seriously, I felt conviction about that three different times this week. And here, I'll, just being vulnerable, two of the times I succeeded and one time I failed. Didn't do the dishes. Didn't Better, better things to do, I suppose. So I had to repent for that, and I, I repent for being lazy. Seriously. But it's those small acts of humility that God will honor. One small step towards God. And just watch what he'll do. Just watch what he'll do. My journey of spirit-filled believing started about seven years ago by saying yes to attending a Bible study on Tuesday nights. Seven years is a long time, and it's a short time. All right? What can God do in seven years in your life? Just by one simple, small yes. I'm encouraging us to give us, give him the yes this morning. And it's, again, it's not a blind call to get active. There's a regular time and place for resting and abiding in the Lord. If you're wounded, needing healing, needing counseling, needing rest, you're not doing something wrong. The church has been all too guilty of sending the wounded back into battle long before they're ready. And I don't want to join that rank. This house is not going to join that rank. We are for your healing. In fact, that can be your, your spiritual service unto him is getting rested and ready for battle. Because God's more interested in your health and character than in using you. But I want to encourage those who are feeling weak or downtrodden or discouraged. You're not quite wound, wounded. You're just, maybe you're getting close. Okay? I want to encourage you. Or if you, if you find yourself in that place in the future, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Verse 10, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. It's an upside-down kingdom. Precisely when we are thinking about throwing in the towel, that's when we need to be leaning into the Lord all the more and doubling down and serving him and watching the grace fill that place that felt empty or discouraged. And he comes to encourage us. That's, that's part of some of the beautiful things that happen in altar ministry. There's a lot of encouraging that takes place. And it's not just up front. It can take place anywhere. But I'm just, I'm just trying to give language for those who may not have experienced it or maybe you experienced it for the first time this morning. Prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and for comfort. So if you received a word this morning, hopefully it was one of or all three of those things. Because we're to encourage each other daily. And when we gather and assemble together, like we're asked to do, Hebrews 10.25, that's part of what happens is that we get encouraged. All right, but it doesn't just halt on Sunday mornings. All right, what, how can we be serving the Lord and serving one another? Reach out, text, call. You would be amazed at the power of one text or one email. 
How it just, hey, thanks for thinking of me. It really, I told you grandma passed away. And someone reached out about something she did 40 years ago. That it was, she just called her right before she was about to have a surgery to give a kidney to her dad and said, the Lord sees you and knows and loves you. Thank you for who you are and, and doing what you're about to do. She held on to that for 40 years, never told a soul. And she reached out to my mother-in-law and said, this is the kind of woman that your mother was. The power of a phone call. Amen. Who knows how that encouraged that lady to keep on fighting, keep on contending. Because I know she, it was a very low place in her life as well. There's provision by his grace to serve him. In the waiting and the abiding, there's grace to serve. And in the serving, there's grace to abide. It's a beautiful cycle. Our love and our faith grow, and out of that overflow of the heart, we want to serve. And as, as a result, faith working with works, faith is perfected. And the waiting on the Lord, staying on our knees in prayer, keeps us humble. I had a dream Friday night, and I didn't know how this was going to fit into the message, and I still feel a little awkward sharing it because it's a little different, but I believe it's for someone because I wanted to ax it, but I couldn't, and I still can't. Even reading it, I'm like, Lord, no. <laughs> but I'm just being faithful, okay? I believe, I believe this is for someone, okay? So I had a dream Friday night, and I was standing outside some unknown place to me, and it was mostly strangers, and I was preaching about repentance, and then I started preaching about um, or using a, an example of the caste system. And if you're unfamiliar about what the caste system is, it's like a hierarchy where the kings and priests were on top, and then their generals and commanders of the army were below them, and then you had the merchant class and the landowners, and then beneath that were the peasants and the farmers. And that was the social hierarchy. <clears throat> and my warning to the people in my dream and to us or an individual in here was not to create a caste system in our own mind as we serve the Lord. That if I just do one more thing for God, that I'm going to the next level. Or, conversely, that, well, I've done this and this and this for the Lord, so I must be doing better than those people over there. Okay? That's self-righteousness. It's stinking thinking, and it needs to be cast out. Matthew 20, 25 to 28, if you want to turn there. But Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, or it's not, it ought not to be this way among you. It's a command not to lord it over them. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He served to the point of death. Those who pay ransoms don't care about what the cost is. Suddenly money becomes very secondary. It's worthless. Why? We value life. Why? Because God values life, and he valued our life so much that it, it cost him his very own son. Amen. 
Jesus considered his life so worthless he was willing to be horribly tortured and murdered on our behalf. That was the ransom. So how do we esteem the sacrifice? How do we serve in return? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. He elevated the standard of love to service. His final act on Calvary. It was a great many things, but one of them, it was an act of service. It is finished. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your obedient sacrifice, for your willingness to serve truly no matter the cost. So don't quit. Don't give up. The number of our days are small compared to the number of days in eternity. Like I said, these days are evil, and the day of the Lord is coming quickly. And if not, we don't know when the, our final hour is coming. I frankly don't have any problem with someone preaching about the day of the Lord coming in our lifetime. We need to act with that kind of urgency. As long as they don't pretend to know the day and the hour, as long as we're exciting people to act with urgency, to get in the game, to serve, all right, let's, let's preach it, let's teach it, because they're writing back in the first century about the coming day of the Lord. And it hasn't happened in 2,000 years, and that's okay. And we'll have to be okay if it doesn't happen another 2,000 years. So I'm telling you, these days feel evil, don't they? So let's act with urgency. We're not going to look back again and think that we wanted to watch one more ball game or one more hour of Netflix or, you know, just kind of lazily veg out or, or, or whatever. Fill in the blank for what that looks, that spiritual dullness looks for you. You'll want it back. You'll want to say, man, Lord, I wish I would have served you in that moment. I, I buried that talent of time. And I can't get it back. Every action counts. To whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given a lot here in America. I don't want us to feign ignorance on this. We are rich. We have much materially compared to most of the world. And there are many gifts in this room as well, both natural and spiritual, ready to be deployed. And I'm not, hopefully, no one's feeling like I'm shaming you or anything. I'm trying to encourage us to use them. Because just like there's a bunch of perseverers in the room, there are a lot of givers in this room. There are a lot of givers of time, talent, and treasure in this room. And it manifests in many uniquely beautiful ways. And I want to encourage us to keep on giving, to keep on sowing into the kingdom, to keep on loving others, and just keep on keeping on. Okay? And if you're not there yet, Join the ranks. It's okay. That's what discipleship is about. Hey, someone, can you help me? Approach me or, or Ben or Austin or someone on leadership or a trusted brother or sister that you find in here, and let's start the disciple process. Because it's one thing to be a convert, but Jesus' com great commission is to go and make disciples of the nations, others that can teach these things to others as well. And it becomes a beautiful cycle of disciples making other disciples it, it's been, someone asked, I um, forget the name of the, the book that I read, but it was on the lost art of disciple making. And uh, someone asked the author, you know, what's, what's the best, or the author asked someone, what's the best part of the Christian walk? And he said, the person answered and said, oh, that's leading someone to Christ. And the author said, yeah, that's the next best thing. The best thing is when the person who you led to Christ leads others to Christ. Amen.
We need to be a sending house. There's a lot of believers in this room. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There's going to be more. We need to go out into the harvest fields. Right? It's not physical wheat and corn and soybeans that we're harvesting. It's people. Eternity is on the line. A couple more points and I'll close. John 13. Got us turning our pages in the Bible today. Praise the Lord. We need both. We need the Spirit of the Lord and we need the Word of the Lord. We need to love them both equally. This is Jesus right before his final hour. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. Taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter and said to him, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, what I do to you, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. We have to be willing to receive from the Lord in order to give away ourselves. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head also. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew that one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So then he had washed their feet, including those, the one who was going to betray him. Keep that in mind. It's not how we love John, but how we love Judas as well. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you know them. No, if you do them. Right? Just making sure you're paying attention to the very end. <laughs> you're blessed if you do them. Here he is in his final hour. He's not going to some party or sitting on the beach. He didn't run and hide or seek some me time. He didn't go skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing. No Alan Jack, no Tim McGraw fans in the room? Okay. Just making sure you're paying attention, okay? No, he taught us to serve. He washed the disciples' feet. God honors the smallest step towards him, and he expands our tent pegs to serve him. 
Moses went from an encounter at the burning bush to leading a whole nation. David goes from a faithful shepherd boy to king. In the, de in the development of each of their stories, we see God's grace expanding their ability to serve him. Service is a spiritual gift. Romans 12, 6 calls it a spiritual gift. We're going to end in this passage, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, talking about other spiritual gifts as well. The end of all things is near. This is, again, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here, here we're being exhorted to, to serve one another in that Remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, service. If we've been blessed with the gift of service, we need to steward it well. We need to be employing it. Back to the text. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he gives us the strength to serve so that he can be glorified. And then he turns around and he rewards us for doing what he's asked us and graced us to do to begin with. It's a bizarre reward system God has, but I'm grateful for it. And I'm exhorting us this morning to partner with it because we won't regret the treasures. I don't know what they're going to exactly look like, but they sound pretty beautiful as I read my Bible. And I'm excited to earn them. And, and, and this is not prosperity teaching. It's just the Bible. All right, we get busy doing what he's asked us to do, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Amen. We just have to be content with sometimes the reward doesn't come in this lifetime. Right. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son, Jesus. For what purpose? When you're part of a kingdom, you serve the king. Yeah. And when I was in the kingdom of darkness, I was really good at serving the devil. But now that I'm in the spirit, in the kingdom of the son, how much more so should I be giving him everything that's in my being, serving him and loving him because I was unashamed to do it in the darkness, but now there's, there's something that wants to keep you down. It's a spiritual battle, I'm telling you. The religious spirit, it says it doesn't take all that, and the spirit of the world wants to shut you up. There's two different things trying to, trying to shut us up, but what did, I, what did we talk about earlier? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word, of their testimony there's power in our words there's a lot of beautiful I've had the pleasure of hearing a lot of testimonies in this room I'm excited to hear more as I see other new faces glad you're here welcome God's going to use your testimony he is there's a little saying and I, I don't know who who authored it but I love it find out what God would have you do and do that little well for what is great and what is small only God can tell using your funds wisely being a consistent hard worker at your job being a faithful witness raising your children in a stable home living a holy, li holy life 
there are lots of ways, often mundane ways, that we can serve the Lord. So again, in closing, my encouragement to us is if we just wake up with spiritual eyes. We can, it, it doesn't take much to start serving. You're right where you need to be. It's just a matter of having the unction to serve. And if you're already doing it, this is going to be an encouragement to do it in greater ways and keep contending until, like Hebrews 6 said, until we draw our final breath, we have the pleasure. It's not we have to serve. We get to serve. We get to serve. So I want to leave us with three parting questions. Two of them are not mine. One of them is. So if you have problems with it, you can take it up with Michael Brown and Leonard Ravenhill. But just take some time to reflect. This is Leonard Ravenhill. Are the things I am living for worth Christ dying for? Amazing quote. It's going to ring through the ages until the Lord comes back. Are the things I am living for worth Christ dying for? I want to serve you, Lord. The things that I'm, that I'm serving, may you be at the top of it all. Because it has you and your name all over it. And every time I serve, I give you glory and honor. Dr. Michael Brown asks, what can God do through one surrendered life? And my question is, am I serving the Lord to the fullest measure he has asked me to? And my response to that last question is I know I have more to give, not in a striving sort of way, but in a humble Lord, I just want to love you kind of way. It's a simple faith we're asked to just listen and obey. I'm trying to give God my joyful yes and live in the overflow of his love and his grace because it is sufficient so that we can give a joyful yes, so that we can serve with all of our strength until our very last breath. He loves us that much, saints, that he gives us the grace for it all. He's not a father who asks us to do something and then sets us up for failure, doesn't give you the tools and the grace in order to, to accomplish it. No, he does. He does. He seeks to affirm. He seeks to approve. He seeks to encourage. I hope all of you feel encouraged. I just want to close us in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Beautiful, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. We began in worship just in exalting your holiness. I want to close in exalting your holiness. Thank you, Lord, that you are mindful of man. Even though we are dust, you are mindful of us. And Lord, in your mindfulness, you've given us grace to love you and to serve you all of our days. So Lord, I pray for that empowering grace to wash over everyone listening online and everyone here in attendance this morning, assembled here, that we would serve you with every fiber in our being, with every bone in our body, with every uh, ounce of strength we can muster, not in striving, but just like in worship. We're not striving, we're not white-knuckling down, but we're partnering with your Spirit, because it's only by your Spirit can we do what you've asked us to do to the fullest measure. Lord, would you help us? Would you show us your will for our lives?
and help us to get busy dying to self and living for you and partnering with your will just like you prayed and taught us to pray not my will but your will be done your will be done Lord on earth in my life as it is in heaven Lord Jesus we bless you we honor you we revere you it's in your name we pray amen